This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. I want to give you this morning the resurrections that happened at the crucifixion. You see, we've got this idea that Jesus was the only one that rose from the dead. But I want to read to you the book of Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 53. Now before I read, can I just ask you a question? I ask this to the church all the time and so I'll ask it again this morning. Would you agree with me that if one part of the Bible's not true, ain't none of it worth reading? Ain't no point in reading any of it if there's just a piece of it ain't true. So therefore, it's all got to be there in order for any of it to be there. Here's a scripture, Matthew chapter 27, verse number 52. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after His resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. In our scripture, the apostle Matthew is recounting the events that occurred on the 14th day of April or the Hebrew month of Nisan. Now in the Bible, we don't have a whole lot of details about exact times, exact dates, and exact locations of everything. But the crucifixion is one of those things where we know minute by minute what happened and when it happened. Here is what the details of the crucifixion look like. The crucifixion, it began at roughly about the third hour of the day in the morning, roughly around 9 a.m., at 9 a.m. it gave way and at 12 p.m. the Bible says the sky goes black. For three hours there was darkness over the face of the whole earth. Now there's a lot of people that try to explain what that was. They'll try to explain that it was an eclipse. They'll try to explain that the moon turned or maybe the clouds came. Listen, I don't really know what all it was. I just know that's what the Bible says and that's what I believe because the only people that don't believe it are the same people trying to prove to me and you that we came from tadpoles and puddles somewhere so you'll forgive me for not believing everything they say. And so we know then at 3 p.m. Jesus Christ cries to the Father it is finished. He bows his head. He gives up the ghost and he dies. At 3.01, a series of really un unbelievable events begins to happen. Number one, the Bible says that there is an earthquake. Then the scripture says the veil of the temple is rent from top to bottom. All of the rocks tear in half as we covered that last week. But then all of a sudden, in verse 52 and verse 53, this is what Matthew says happens. He says at the moment, at the very instant that Jesus bows his head and dies, when the earth quakes, the graves open up of the saints of God from the Old Testament. And the scripture says in verse 52, they arose and stayed in those graves though they were alive. And then it tells us in verse 53, after the resurrection, they come forth out of those graves and they walk around. Now, beloved, I'm going to be honest with you. That is an unbelievable story. 
But it's in that Bible, and I believe every word of that Bible. Man, I heard about this one lady, and she is a senior citizen lady, and she lived in, she was one of you Southern Belle women, and some of you steel magnolias around here, and somebody broke into her house, and that burglar broke into her house one night. And man, it was about midnight, and he broke in, she heard him. She comes to the door as he's a rummaging through her house, and she yells in the darkness, Stop! Acts 2.38. He froze. He froze. The police come, arrest him, take him back to the police station. They ask, Sir, why in the world did you stop robbing that woman's house? Oh, because she yelled at you a Bible verse. He stood his head up like this. He said, A Bible verse? That old woman said she had an axe in 238. <laughs> Here's the whole point. Son, she thought he was armed, man. She had the ammunition. And I'm coming to you this morning, and I'm telling you, honey, I'm loaded for bear. I have got the ammunition, and I ain't really that worried about what anybody says in this whole world. Here is my question to you. Why did Matthew give to us the story of these resurrections? Why is it that God would allow at the death of the Lord Jesus for something to occur like that, where the graves roll open and the bodies of the saints from the Old Testament are resurrected? And after the resurrection of Jesus, they walk around in the holy city of Jerusalem. And then let's ask the obvious question, what happened to them? Where'd they go? I've been to Jerusalem a bunch of times. I'm headed back in just a few months. I ain't never seen any of them Old Testament saints walking around. So where did their bodies go? Let me give you three reasons why God put this in the canon of the New Testament. Number one, the first reason that God gives us this story in Matthew 27, verse number 52 and 53, is to preview the future resurrection. Now here is the story as it happens. Let me see if this makes sense to anybody that's a Bible student in any way, shape, form, or fashion. So all of a sudden, these people have been dead in their grave. They've been lifeless in that place. They have no life. They have no hope. They have no being. They have no existence. But one day something happened. It had been a lot of people that had died. The blood of lambs had been shed, still dead. John the Baptist had been shed, still dead. All the martyrs had been killed, still dead. But at the death, at the death of the Lamb of God, the Lord of glory, the light of heaven, the hope of eternity, the bright and the morning star, the one that is fairer than 10,000, the one that is altogether lovely, the one that is the shining, beaming presence of God in the flesh, the Word of God, the hope of God, the grace of God, the truth of God, the peace of God, the light of all eternity. When he died on that cross, when his blood was shed, when he finally gave up the ghost and he cried, it is finished, that's when they woke up out of that sleep. That's when they came alive. When he said, it is finished. Let me put it like this. Before the blood is shed, they're dead. But once the blood is shed, they are made alive. So here they are inside of that grave. They are alive inside of that grave. They are alive inside of that tomb. They are alive, but they have not come forth yet. That's what's going to happen on that resurrection morning. You and I are that picture of that dead person inside of that grave. I was dead when I met the preacher. 
I was dead when I became a Baptist. I was dead when I got baptized. I was dead when I went to church. I was dead when I met this person. I was dead when I met that person. But something happened at the back of the Vandalia Baptist Church when I was a 16-year-old boy. I had the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ applied to my life. And I, which was dead, I, which had no existence, I, which had no hope, I, which had no peace, I, which had no eternity, I was made alive by the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I talk to a bunch of dead people in the house of God this morning? Not physically dead, but spiritually dead. Cut off from God. No relationship with God the Father. You'll stay dead if you meet a preacher. You'll stay dead if you become a Baptist. I've met a lot of Baptists, and I'm pretty sure that they ain't come out of that grave yet. You'll stay dead if you go to a church of God. You'll stay dead if you become a Methodist. It has nothing to do with form and fashion, but the very moment that you get in Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb of God is applied to your life. He which was dead will now be alive forevermore. He which was in the tomb will be alive forevermore. Now watch this. After the resurrection, after that day breaks, after that all happens. Now here's the point, and I'll give you something I don't really understand. I just know I believe it. Here's what happened. I know the day I got saved. That's not the day it all began in my life. You see, the blood was shed way back here. The blood was shed way back on Calvary. But there was a series of events. Something had to transpire that day when I said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. I said no to my sin and I turned myself. That was the resurrection in my life. You see, you realize today there are billions upon billions of people that are in hell and their sins have already been paid for. Let me help you. You don't go to hell because you're a sinner. You go to hell because you reject Jesus Christ. You see, in the eyes of God the Father, all the sins of the world have already been paid for. 1 John 2, 1. He's the propitiation of our sin, the satisfaction of our sins, but not for our sins only, but the sins of the entire world. You see, your sins have already been paid for. Everybody in hell, their sins have already been paid for. You don't go to hell because you're a sinner. You go to hell because you reject the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him already. Now listen, what some of you right now are waiting on, the blood's already been shed. You're just waiting for that Holy Ghost wake-up call. Man, they got out of that grave, and they's a-walking around Jerusalem. There's a walking around the eternal city of God. There's a walking around in life. He which was dead is alive forevermore. I don't have any idea what a dead person would say if they came back. But I imagine it would look a lot something like this. They'd say, man, I ain't never felt so good. I ain't never felt so alive. I ain't never felt like I've been out broken free. I ain't never felt like this before. I don't know what a dead person will say when they come up out of the grave. I ain't never met one. But I do know this. I've met a lot of spiritually dead people, and I was one of those spiritually dead people. And I can't tell you what a physically dead person will say when they come up out of the grave, but I know what I said when I came up out of my spiritual tomb. I saw the light. I saw the light. And he which was dead is alive forevermore. Man, I'm telling you, there's a walking around. And all of a sudden, 
You ready for this? They vanish. Number one, he gave us that story to preview what it's going to be like when you get saved. But number one, B, that was one A. These people take notes up here. One B, it's a preview of what it's going to be like on that resurrection morning. You say, what does that mean? I've been to a lot of funerals. I've performed a lot of services. I've gone down to the grave many times. I've put a lot of dirt on top of caskets. I've put a lot of boutonnieres on top of coffins. I've seen them lowered down into the grave. They which are dead. They which are no longer alive. Those which no longer have life. What's going to happen that day? Well, you see, here's the thing. It looks like they're dead in that grave. You see, if you'd have walked by one of them graves in Jerusalem that day, you'd have thought, well, the grave is open, but they are not really alive. But they were just as alive inside of that grave as they were on the outside. And all of a sudden, one day, when Jesus finally gave that clarion call of resurrection and life, they came forth out of the grave and they vanished. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I can't prove it to you from my experience. I can prove it to you from the Bible because there's a lot of things I'll experience before you, but on that resurrection day, we'll experience this whole thing together. Gravity is going to lose its power. It's going to lose its effect, and we're going to rise to meet the Lord in the air and we will forever be with the Lord in a vanishing moment. I spit on you Denise. Praise the Lord. I'm so nervous with all these visitors I want to offend them. Y'all are kind of like the convicts in the prison. You ain't going nowhere. Number one, it previews the future resurrection. Number two, the second reason that he gives that we'll find it in verse number 52 It shows us the powerlessness and to prove to us the powerlessness of death. Can I show you something? You look back at your Bible in verse number 52. Watch what happened. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Now, I don't know about you. There's a big difference between being dead and being asleep. There's a big difference. You're dead. You can hit, you can poke, you can prod. No action, no movement, no life. But somebody which is asleep has the appearance of death, has the look of death. But you know what they're waiting on? They're waiting on the morning. And when the morning comes, they're going to get up. I don't like animals. They ain't an animal in this world I like. I barely can, can stand humans, but I mean, I, but I'll tolerate them. I don't like dogs. I sure enough don't like cats. I don't like hamsters. I don't like gerbils. I don't like snake. And if you have a snake for a pet, you have issues. Like, I'm telling you, you got bad problems. But if I was going to have any animal, you know what I'd have? I'd have to have a dog. You know why? Because people don't think you're weird. <laughs> Ain't you know what else I'd do? 
Some of you folks are very intelligent with your animals. They have this new thing, and it's called an invisible fence. I don't know how new it is, but it's new to me because we've just started researching dogs for Mason. And if you want to know why I'm staying homeless for so long, it's because there's a lot of criterion on this list. You know what I want? Cheap. Mine ain't the one holding this bandwagon up. It's that one and the other girl over there and that little 11-year-old thing that has to have a certain kind of yard because he's got to have a dog to have an invisible fence. I learned something about the invisible fence, Cheryl. They put this perimeter around your yard. There's no physical barrier But there's a collar. Now, where are all the animal rights people? I have no idea. See, that's the problem with liberalism. They're hypocrites. That's the problem. They pick and choose what they want to like and what they don't want to like. And they stick this collar on that dog's neck. And when it crosses that line... And what happens is that dog gets used to that sting. And because it fears the sting, it won't go near the border. They say that if you'll take a dog, and a dog that is normally docile and calm, and you start pushing that dog toward that barrier, that dog will get feisty, and start trying to fight you and bite you. You know why? It fears the sting. You know what else they said on Wikipedia about them invisible fences? I don't know where else you expect me to get the information. They don't write books about this stuff. Dwayne, you know what else they say about them invisible fences? After a dog gets so used to the sting, you can actually unplug that electric fence, and it still will fear the sting. They say you'll take that same dog with that fence unplugged and you start pushing it toward that line, it'll start fighting. It'll start biting. It'll start getting rambunctious because it fears the sting. But the moment it crosses the line and it realizes the sting is gone, They say that dog will stop in its tracks and look shocked. And you know what they're thinking? I don't know what a dog thinks, but you know what they're thinking? They're thinking, I thought that would be a lot worse than it actually was. And I don't think dogs talk, and if you talk to your dog, you need a friend. But if a dog could talk, Dwayne, you'd probably say to your dog, you'd say, why'd you bite me? Why'd you get mad at me? That dog would probably tell you, my whole life I feared the sting, but I don't know what happened to it. And that owner would say, 
when you weren't looking. I went and I de-armed the thing that gave it the sting. And now you can cross the border and go anywhere you want to go and there is no sting. Let me apply that to the life of the child of God, my loving Savior, the light of heaven, the Lord of glory, the King of all kings and the Lamb of all lambs and the God of all gods. Way back yonder, 33 AD, the 14th day of Nisan at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, he looked up to the heaven and he cried, it is finished. He bowed his head and the Bible says he gave up the ghost. He was the first person that ever faced death face to face, head on and death had no more power and death had no more sting and now everybody that is in Jesus Christ, there is no more sting when we go down to the grave it feels so cold, it feels so final, it feels so done it feels so over, it feels like it's painful. I've been in hospital rooms and people are fighting. I don't want to go near that line. They're fighting. I don't want to go near that place. They're fighting to hold on to that breath. They're ho- fighting to hold on to that life. But there is something unbelievably peaceful that transpires in that room when a child of God finally meets death face to face and they give up the ghost and they bow that head and they close those eyes and they take that final breath. There is a peace that settles over the face of that child of God. You say, what is that? It's that moment. It's that second. It's that exact second when they realize that Jesus Christ had gone to the pyre of death. He'd unplugged its pyre, taken its sting, and moved it all away. And now, when a saint of God dies, there is no sting. It's just like going to sleep. There is a great fear inside of every one of us when we die. Listen to me. It's there. Because we were born to live. We weren't born to die. And I ain't been to that border yet where I have to face death head on. But I have been to the place where the sting got unplugged. I've been to Calvary. And I've seen it. I've seen where he died. I've seen where the blood flowed down. I've seen where the stone was rolled away. I've seen where he came forth out of that grave. And I'm telling some some person right now, some child of God right now that's afraid. Maybe it's a loved one and you saw him racked with pain and you saw him overcome with that anxiety. You don't have to worry. It's all okay. There was no death. There was no dying. There was no pain. There was no problem. They went to sleep in Christ and they're already on the other side. But oh God, I've come to help somebody in the house of God right now, somebody on that live stream, somebody that'll watch this on television, I've come to say that the sting of death can be rolled away because of the Lord Jesus Christ that removed the sting of death. I hope I get to be resurrected first on that great day. You know why? Because I want to see some of you bears who are grumpy until the crack of noon. I want to see y'all get up happy. When I wake up in the morning, I'm ready to go. When my little girl wakes up in the morning, she's ready to go. I imagine on that resurrection morning, when I get up, it's going to be like any other day. I'm just getting up from my sleep. 
But these are some of you creatures in this room right here. It's going to be a novel idea to you. But this is what it's going to be like on the resurrection. It'll be just like waking up on any other day. Number three. The third reason that Jesus gives this story about the resurrection at the crucifixions was to premiere the coming rapture. You ready? Here's my question to you. They're dead. They're alive. They get out. And they walk around. What do they do? They're testifying. I was dead. But now... I'm alive forevermore. Jesus has already got up. I wonder if somebody said, what are you planning on doing now that you're resurrected? Go get a job? Have you ever thought about that? What are you going to do? You know what they said? We're just waiting. We're going to spend our time between now and that day telling everybody, He which gives you the power to come forth from death can be yours. Everywhere they went, there's been a lot of postulations. There's been a lot of theories of who those people were in that. I cannot prove this. I don't have a clue who they were. I believe it was the bodies of the Old Testament saints that had been waiting on the Lord Jesus Christ. I have no way to prove that. But all I know, whether it was David, whether it was Noah, whether it was the 12 patriarchs, whether it was Elijah, whether it was Elisha, I don't have a clue who it was. All I know is they spent 40 days telling everybody, He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. People ask me all the time. They say, preacher, I would witness, but I don't know how. What's the best way to witness? Are you ready? I'm going to teach you the best way to witness. Start the conversation out with people that you know. And say, I'm sure you've noticed that I've been sharing a lot more posts about Scripture and about Jesus and about church. And I've been sharing live streams and been talking to you about that. And I'm sure you notice that. I don't even know if I've ever asked you, but have I ever told you what Jesus did for me? And let her rip, tater chip. You say, what if I fumble it up? What if I mumble it up? The Bible says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he's Lord. All you've got to do, if you say the word Jesus, you let God worry about the rest of it. Because I promise you this, in the middle of the night, whether you fumbled or whether you mumbled, you know what they're going to be thinking about the whole time? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, don't you worry about that. You just go around telling everybody that you used to be one way, but Jesus saved your soul and changed your life. And you let God worry about the rest of it. But you ready for this? Number two, one day they were absolutely transfigured and <laughs> taken. Can I ask you a question? Where did they go? Where did they go? Now, beloved... I have a wild imagination. But can I just tell you what I think happened? Here's what I think happened. Forty days and forty nights, Jesus is walking with his disciples. Forty days and forty nights, he's teaching his people. Forty days and forty nights, he's telling all about what's to come. And on that great ascension morning, 
He takes his disciples, 120 people, and they march out to the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. They get on the eastern side facing Bethany. And the Lord Jesus walks out. He looks back at his disciples and he lifts his hands, the Bible says. He reaches up into the clouds and as the the gravity reverses its power, he rises. And looking all around him, he wasn't the only one that went up that day. The bodies of those Old Testament saints rose off the ground. Now they get to the gate of heaven. And when they get to the gate of heaven, the angels stand at attention. For the Lamb of God has come home. The Son of the Almighty, Yahweh in the flesh, has come back to the gate. But he didn't come alone. There were bodies of people, living souls and living people. Fear settles in their heart. As the definition of power rises from the center of the city, marches to the gate, he declares to all eternity, my son has come home. And he says, son, who are these with you? And the son says, father, these are they that have come through much tribulation. These are they that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And the Father says, Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Why am I telling you that story? Well, it looks mighty familiar to something that's going to happen soon. One day you and I are going to be in church somewhere. Maybe we'll be down at the graveyard burying one of our loved ones that have gone to be with the Lord. And all of a sudden the eastern sky will split in twain. Jude says it like this, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of His saints. Who are those 10,000 saints? They're the ones that were taken at the ascension. And all of a sudden, fear settles in our soul. And as we go to leave, we notice as we step, gravity has no more power. Gravity has no more authority. All of a sudden, we see the graves of our loved ones began to rattle and began to shake. Six feet of earth begins to roll off the mound of that vault. All of a sudden, that iron vault, that casket lid, it begins to crack open as inside of that. He which was dead, he which was in the grave is alive now forevermore. And marrow comes back in the joints and skin comes back on. Flesh reenters the body. Breath comes back into that body as life. Life, resurrection power and authority enters into the soul of that loved one. Those graves began to quake. Those, qua- those graves began to rattle. Those graves began to move. Honey, those graves, they rolled back. And as we are rising up, our loved ones rise up to meet the Lord. And there we meet the 
in the clouds of glory. But all of a sudden, we look around and we say, who are all of these people? Their robes don't look like our robes. They're already white. They're already righteous. They're already holy. We get back to the gate of the city and we see our old decayed flesh. We see our old robe of sin and decay and we get to the gate and fear settles in our heart. Fear settles in our soul and we say, Lord, how are we ever going to get inside of that glorious city? Somebody finally gets enough boldness. It'll probably be a woman because she's the only one that'll talk to anybody. And a woman walks up to one of those robed righteous saints and walks up to that white gown saint and says, excuse me, sir, can I ask you a question? How in the world is somebody like me ever going to get in there? That saint of God smiles with that big smile on their face and says, you don't have anything to worry about. We've been here too. And that man up there with the scars in his hands, he'll take care of absolutely everything. As we get to the door, all of a sudden in the center of the city, the definition of power and the definition of beauty and the definition of glory and the definition of holiness and the definition of omnipotence stands up. There's a rainbow around him everywhere he walks. And as the power of God begins to usher to the gate of the city, the father looks at the son, but he sees the bodies of those people behind him, me and you. And he says, son, who are these people? Who are these that you brought with you? And he says, father, these are the ones that have come out of much of tribulation. These are the ones that have been washed in my blood. And the father, the father says this, enter, enter into the joy of your Lord. And every day we look up and we say the King is coming. The King is coming. On that great resurrection morning, I'll wake up on that day, whether in my grave or in my bed and my heart will bear witness as the sky is split in twain and as the Lord himself descends from the heavens with the shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and as the dead in Christ rise we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air now, I know there's a big swath of people in this room. And you say, I don't believe that. Well, just wait till resurrection morning and see how wrong you are. Because we're going to get up. And withered, decaying, broken limbs. We'll have no more arthritis. And little crippled legs that did everything they could to balance will now have power to walk straight. The mother that did everything that she could to raise her boys and children in the admonition of the Lord will have no more fear for the king is coming. And the little preacher that did everything that they could to make sure that the church didn't close down will have no more worries because the king is coming. And the mother that has been separated from her children all these years because of the grave, babies and young ones and teenagers and young adults, 
will have no more sorrow because the king is coming. And little men that have done their best to make ends meet will have no more fear for the king is coming. The king, the king, the king. The question this morning from you that I will ask, do you know him? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? I didn't ask if you go to church. I asked, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Was there that time, was there that place that you can look back in your mind's eye and say, that is the place my life was given to Christ? Then the King is coming. If you've never been saved, you're still living in verse number 50, dead in your sins and in your trespasses. Today can be the glad day that you say the king has come. He's come just for me.